Well, throughout the summer, we have been in a series called Show Me It's Real, where uh, we have just been going back to uh, the letter of James and trying to see what real faith looks like, how it's shown, because often that is not what uh, we are known for as Christians. Uh, We've said often we are better known for the political stances we take, the beliefs that we defend, rather than the character we possess or the good that we do. And we think that should not be the case, that, uh, that true faith should be evidenced by uh, a change in life. And so we have been uh, reflecting on that in uh, this letter to James, that James uh, wrote, and uh, we have been trying to just put it as a mirror to our lives and seeing uh, where we need to grow, uh, where we need uh, God's help. Uh, this morning, we're talking about how to wait when I want it now dealing with this whole area of patience. Uh, Probably all of you are familiar with the marshmallow experiment, right? Anyone tried this with your kids? Anyone thought about this uh, in in your own life? Uh, Maybe for those who haven't heard of it, uh, Stanford University, uh, one of their uh, psychology uh, professors ran an experiment back in 1972 where he brought together a group of three to five-year-olds and gave them a very simple experiment. Put them alone in a room and put a single marshmallow in front of them and said, you can eat the marshmallow, but if you wait just 15 minutes until I come back, I'm going to give you two marshmallows. And of course, two marshmallows are better than one marshmallow. So most, uh, most of the children, when presented with that, they think, I want two marshmallows. I don't want just one marshmallow. But the one marshmallow is right there, and it looks so good. So uh, in trying to not eat that marshmallow, they go to great lengths. Uh, some of them, you, you can see them. They have videos of the experiment. Uh, they'll, 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 they'll try and do this with their hands. They'll, they'll try not to look at it. They'll, they'll do things to distract themselves. Sometimes they're talking. Okay, don't, don't eat it. Don't. You can hear them talking to themselves. Some of them pray. Um, one child tried to fall asleep thinking, if I could just sleep through this, and I won't even have to think about it. And eventually... Uh, Children, uh, some of them ate it right away, some of them waited, some of them made it to the full 15 minutes, and of course, they got their two marshmallows. Now, it's an interesting experiment, experiment, but what was most interesting was the follow-up. So what they found was that the children who were able to wait longer, they tracked with them all through school into adulthood, they found that the children who waited longer for the marshmallow tracked with higher higher outcomes in school, higher SAT scores. They got into better colleges and universities. Uh, they, they, they had more positive outcomes. Interestingly, the children who ate the, the marshmallow the fastest, those were children who uh, were more likely to become bullies in school, had negative feedback from teachers. They found that at, by age 32, they were more likely to be uh, have problems with drugs and those who had gotten, uh, who had managed to wait for uh, their, their marshmallow. And, and you see, there are big consequences for just what would seem like a little skill, a little character trait like patience, self-control, waiting. 
Now, clearly there are implications for parenting. Um, there are in implications, hey, if you're uh, a child with us here this morning, you think, hey, maybe, maybe what my parents are telling me about uh, patience and self-control and just wait, uh, maybe, maybe there's something to that. Maybe I need to work at that. But my contention is life is actually a marshmallow experiment that we are all in a marshmallow test and we face those kinds of challenges in our lives just about every day. Um, if you look in our lives, uh, our phones have gotten faster, our computers have gotten faster, but the really important things in life, we have to wait for. You have to wait for the right partner. You have to wait for the right job. You have to wait for justice, for healing, for uh, peace, for resolution in conflicts. There are so many things that we have to wait for, uh, and it doesn't matter how fast we have gotten, how convenient our lives have become in the other areas of our lives. Uh, it is uh, those things that we have to wait for which often cause the biggest challenges for us. And so if life is a marshmallow test, you and I need patience, and I don't know about you, it doesn't come naturally to me. I need God's help, you need God's help. And so we're going to look at a passage today that looks at how to nurture patience uh, and uh, the wisdom and help that God gives us in the process. So I want to encourage you to turn with me to James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. Uh, there's a black church Bible right under the, uh, on the rack in the seat in front of you. It's on page 952. And we're going to just walk through that passage this morning and see what God would, uh, would teach us and how he would help us in this critical area. James 5, verses 7 to 12, page 952. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers... Do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of God. Now, this passage helps us to be patient uh, with our circumstances, with other people, and with God. And at each stop, it gives us some examples of some people that we can follow, uh, kind of a, a concrete picture in our mind of some people who have kind of walked this path before so that we have something to learn from. So let's start with our, with our, uh, our first step. Here, like the farmer, we're called to be patient with our circumstances. Farmers play the long game. They recognize that there's a harvest coming, uh, but you need to do some, some sowing in order to get there. 
And they also recognize there's some circumstances like rain and sun that are beyond their control. And they entrust those circumstances to God and they follow uh, and do what it is that they're able to do. So like a farmer, be patient with your circumstances. Now, verse 7 starts off with what seems like a very straightforward command. It just says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. But those of you who have been with us for any length of time, you know that when we see the word therefore, we like to ask the question, what's it therefore? And in this case, what's it therefore? Therefore is pointing us to verses 1 to 6, which preceded us, and particularly verse 6. And so I'm going to read that. Uh, that verse for you. Verse 6 says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So the people were being mistreated and oppressed. Uh, They are uh, being cheated out of their pay by big business. They are facing the challenges of life when they're getting ripped off. Things are hard. Uh, They are being destroyed. And the message is, be patient. Is that the message that you would have given to such people in such circumstances? Be patient. Based on what, what, what has happened, based on these terrible circumstances you were in, therefore, he says, be patient. That, that doesn't seem like the first response that we would make to such circumstances. We would probably organize a protest, right? Maybe a boycott. We would, we would get angry and show them that they can't do that to us. We would find some way to, to make our voices heard, to, to fight back. And yet, James says, be patient. In fact, he repeats a similar message in verse 8. He says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Did you notice that in both of those commands to be patient, there's a reference to the coming of the Lord? There's a recognition that there's not just uh, that, that we should be patient, but there's a, uh, something given as a reason, a motivation, something that, that helps us to do so. Here, he is, he is pointing us to the Lord's return, and he is saying this is a, 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 something that will, will help you to, uh, to, to, to wait. It'll help you to be patient. A recognition that Jesus not only came to this earth 2,000 years ago, but he's coming again. He will return to this earth, and when he comes a second time, he is not coming with second chances and walking on water, and when he comes a second time, he is coming in judgment. He will bring relief and salvation to those who have patiently been waiting for him, and he will bring his judgment upon those who have blown him off, ignored him, and said, hey, I'm just going to eat the marshmallow. I think that life is, uh, is too short for me to have to wait. I'm going to get on and do it my way. And so he says, You find yourself in some difficult circumstances, be patient, wait for the coming of the Lord. Farmers know how to do this, right? Farmers know how to double their marshmallows. They have have grown up in circumstances that have required it. In verse 7, he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. If you've grown up on a farm, you know 
you have no control over the water, over the rain. If you have a garden, you, you, can, you can get out with a, and, and spray water, but you, if you go through a dry patch, you feel the impact of that. You feel, I'm at circum- these circumstances are beyond my control. Without rain, there's no harvest. So the circumstances are in God's hands. But knowing that God controls the circumstances, no farmer just sits around and eats seed. They, they don't just say, well, it's, it's hopeless. I don't know what's going to happen. They, they recognize there's a harvest coming. There are things that are in God's control, not mine. I am going to take what I have now. I'm going to do what I can and trust God to do what only God can do. One of the ways you express that trust that God will do what only God can do is through the words that you use. That's why verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Here, a complaint is like an atheist's prayer. It is is an expression of lack of trust in, in God, his faithfulness, his ability to do what he has said that he is going to do. Uh, we, we grumble when we don't have the patience to wait for him. We don't have the faith to trust that he is good and he will make things right. And again, I don't know about you, none of this comes naturally to me. I feel, like as I look back, that there have just been years of my life where I just felt I was waiting, waiting for circumstances to change, waiting for God to answer my prayers, waiting for, for, for what I had hoped for and expected to happen to happen. And during those periods of waiting, you feel that, that the, the same kinds of things that you see in the, in, in the child with the marshmallow in front of them. It's it just this wanting something different, wishing that the waiting didn't have to happen, wishing that it could all be over. You want to eat the marshmallow now, but you know, if I can trust that when Jesus returns, he's bringing something sweeter. He he will bring justice to this situation. He will bring resolution. He will intervene. And he's called me to wait, to do what I can do now, but to trust him to do what he alone can, can accomplish. Now, maybe for some of you, it's not your circumstances that you're waiting on. Maybe you are waiting, frankly, on other people. Maybe it's the people in your life that make you lose your patience, feel that sense of frustration. And so that's where James turns next. He gives us, uh, we move from the farmer to the prophets, and here the message is uh, be patient with other people uh, like like the prophets. Here, God, the recognition is God, like the prophets, may have given you a hard assignment. It just may be a hard task. God may have placed you around people that make life, frankly, very, very difficult. He's, his message, though, is be faithful anyway. Be patient recognizing that, uh, that, that this is an assignment from God and he can help you and give you the strength to move through it. Like the prophets, be patient with people. 
Now in verse 10, James says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Do you know who was, who was the most cruel to the prophets? It was their own people. The very people that they had been called to minister to. And probably um, any of you who are parents, this, this isn't a huge surprise to you. Any of you experienced this? Uh, any, any teachers here this morning experience the most difficult people, the most trying people, are the people that you're, you've kind of been employed to, uh, to serve, to, uh, to help? People in service industry recognize this. Recognize uh, maybe some of you, uh, you've, you've stepped forward to serve in ministry and you recognize, I, I love the ministry, it's just the people, they make it difficult, they try my patience. And, and maybe your experiences have been, frankly, so painful wherever that might be, whether in your job, in your home, in ministry. Maybe you think, Paul, I don't know, I haven't, haven't read much, much of the Old Testament to know about the prophets, but you know, they probably just had some bored looks during their sermons. How difficult could it have been? Well... Listen to how Hebrews 11 describes what the prophets faced. Just give you a little taste of it. One line here. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were, st they were stoned. They were sawn in two. I shouldn't laugh. I'm sorry. They were killed with the sword. Like the, the lives of the prophets were marked by incredible hardship and difficulty. And take... Take one of the famous ones, the well-known ones, right? Take Isaiah. Isaiah is the one who in Isaiah chapter 6, he has this incredible encounter with God. He has this vision of God's throne room. It's an incredible uh, event and, and uh, exciting for him to experience perhaps. Uh, and in the midst of that, he hears the Lord say, whom shall, I, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And right away, Isaiah puts up his hand, I'll go, I'll go, send me. And we're thinking, boy, this is a promising young prophet. He's going to have a fabulous career. He'd probably be really, really successful. Great things will happen. Do you know what happens right after that famous, I'll go, send me. God essentially says, I'm going to send you, and I'm going to give you a message. And what's going to happen? The more you share this message, the more, the, the more stubborn the people will become. They are going to resist you. They are going to uh, harden themselves, and you won't have a single convert. And you probably know what Isaiah said in response to that, right? He's like, um, how long do we have to do this? Like, is this just going to be like a weekend seminar or something? And I said, no, no, no. You're going to do this like for your entire life. This is, this, this is going to be from here on out. And scholars estimate that, that could be somewhere in the order of an, another four to five decades for Isaiah. The Jewish Talmud tells us that it was in fact Isaiah who in our passage today was sawn in two the hands of King Manasseh. That's a hard assignment, right? And I don't know about you, but if I was Isaiah, if I kind of try to put myself in his shoes, I don't know, maybe not the next week or even the next month, but somewhere in those 40 to 50 years, I think I would be asking myself, what on earth am I doing? 
what, 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 what value does this have? Why, why don't I just pack this in? If it's going to be this hard, I might as well just not do anything because I think the effect would be the same. I could just eat the marshmallow. But Isaiah instead chose to believe that God was going to return, that God hadn't called him to just do this because he was going to be famous and successful. He'd called him to do it out of uh, faithfulness to him. He had his eyes on God. He said, I will do this for you. And only because Isaiah, throughout all of those difficulties and hardships, he chose to persevere, chose to press on. It is only because of that that 2,500 years later, we are still reading his writings and being impacted by them. That, that's how ministry works. That's how, for many of you, your jobs work. That's how, for some of you, the, the relationships that, that you have, the people that are close to you that just try your patience. It is maybe a hard assignment, but... Maybe it's an assignment from God nonetheless. Brian Dirksen, some of you will know, is a Christian uh, singer, songwriter. He was known uh, back in the 90s for songs like Refiner's Fire, uh, Come, Now is the Time to Worship. Uh, those are, are maybe, maybe they're nostalgic songs for some of you. Maybe, maybe they're songs that you don't know, but... He has gone through some challenges. He, he gifted with a, uh, a wonderful talent that has encouraged many people in their faith. But he has six children, and his two sons uh, were diagnosed with a fragile uh, X syndrome. And fragile X syndrome, if it's not something that's familiar to you, it is a, a condition that leads f- to children's uh, intellectual, emotional, physical uh, challenges, and it's, it's a hard assignment. It's, it's a, tough, uh, a tough challenge. Brian Dirksen said, when I got the diagnosis, I just wandered around my yard in a daze and wept. He didn't, he didn't know what to do with it. Uh, he, he struggled with that, and he said at one point he handed God his resignation, and he said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be singing songs of praise to you. I don't think I can write. I don't, I don't know what, what, what I do. I don't know how I go forward from here. And he said, when I was quiet enough to listen and to hear what, how God would lead me, what he would say, he said, he felt God saying this, go even with your broken heart. For who will relate to my people who are heartbroken if not those who, like you, are acquainted with disappointment? And he realized that this this challenge in his life, the, the pain in his life, could actually be used by God to help him, him to minister more effectively to the people around him. And so it meant that he needed to redefine what he understood about his calling, redefine what success looks like, redefine his motivation, re-understand and rethink what it is that he was actually doing. But when you think of it 
It is the people who have suffered, who have walked through difficulty, who, like the prophets, who have been given given a hard assignment, but those who, in the midst of that assignment, chose to persevere, chose to trust, chose to believe in God's goodness, and, and they can minister to us in a way that they couldn't have if they hadn't walked through those difficulties. And so I need to ask you, have you handed in your resignation to God? Have you told yourself, life is hard enough, I'm just going to sit on the sidelines. I don't think I've got anything to say anymore. I don't think I can really be a help. I've got, I've got issues in my life. Those are questions that it's not just a one-time thing. In some, some aspects, there, there are just seasons of our life where we need to keep reaffirming and, and re-asking that question. Maybe, uh, the, maybe just the most practical and basic question, uh, do you have a place to serve this fall? If this is your home, if you call Grace Baptist Church home, this is your place, we need you to find a place where you can offer what you've got, where you can just take a role, be a part of what God is doing here. We need you as part of the body. And yet, all of us feel the tension of, yeah, but I got stuff going on in my life. I Maybe I'm not being sawn in two right now, but it feels like I got things going on. I don't know if I, if I got anything left over for you. We are all broken people trying to help and encourage, support, and lift each other. And serving is an essential part of that. And so learn from the prophets. Follow their example and Be patient with the people that God has put around you. Be patient with some of those hard assignments. And know that as you persevere through them, God can use you in ways that he could never do if life was easy and circumstances were comfortable. So if the farmer teaches us how to be patient with our circumstances and the prophets teach us how to be patient with people, Job then teaches us how to be patient with God. And I'll read verse 11 for you. It says this, You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, most of you know the, the, the story of Job. He experienced probably as much pain and suffering and difficulty as just about anyone who's ever lived. Uh, he was the one, you know, his sons and daughters, uh, seven sons, three daughters, They were killed in a hurricane. Then his sheep were burned up in a fire. He then had his cattle stolen by raiders. And after all of that, somehow, amazingly, by God's grace, he said in response, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You would think that that would be enough, but then his own body was ravaged by a terrible skin disease, left him scraping the sores on his all over his body with, with a broken pot shard and, and, and feeling the pain of that. 
As he did, his wife tempted him with the now famous words, curse God and die. And even still, Job was resolute. He said, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? It was at that point that his friends showed up. Friends had come to comfort him. And they did a really good job for seven days. They sat with him and they said nothing. But of course, all good things must come to an end. They opened their mouths. And then for uh, the next 34 chapters, they go on to judge him and condemn him and just beat him down. And you feel like as you're reading through Job, you're going through and it feels like, will this book ever end? Will, will their torment ever stop? And that's because when you're in the midst of pain and suffering, it doesn't feel like it'll ever end. It just feels like it's going on forever. But it does end. And as you're reading through those chapters, you feel like God this is how my life feels like. And it feels like you don't care. It feels like you're not present. And then you're, 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 you're feeling like a little bit like Job. You're sitting there in his circumstances. You, you want to raise your fist up and shake your fist at God. And then the end comes and Job is heard. God answers. God brings vindication. He brings reconciliation. He brings restoration. He brings joy and celebration and blessing. And we realize what incredible ending God brings to his life and the, the second portion of his life. And you realize God hadn't abandoned Job after all you realize God cared all along. You realized God's good after all. And that's what verse 11 in our text is pointing to when it says, you have seen the purpose of the Lord. That word purpose is a word that in other translations, other versions of the Bible, it says outcome or ending. It's a word that means conclusion or the, the, the finale, the, the thing that, that everything has been pointing to and moving towards. And so James is saying, with Job, you've seen the Lord's final chapter. You've seen how, how God has been using these circumstances and bringing them towards a, a finale that is, uh, is, is amazing and shows how compassionate and merciful he is. And so the point is, stop drawing conclusions about who God is halfway through a story that you haven't read to the end yet. Stop making up assessments of whether God is good or bad, or I'm not sure when it's the middle of the seventh inning and your game, the game of your life isn't over yet. You know with Job, we are given a picture of how the story ends for one who is patient patiently trusts in the Lord, chooses to wait on him, chooses to believe in the goodness of his plan. If you have gone all in with Jesus, the final chapter will explain all the rest of the story. 
everything that's gone, gone before it. That when you trust him, the end of this life will bring comfort, blessing, celebration, and the restoration that you've always longed for. There'll be justice, there'll be vindication, there'll be restoration. And in the meantime, he asks you to be patient. Like the farmer, be patient with your circumstances. Like the prophets, be patient with people. Like Job, be patient with God. That's how you show that you trust him. That's how you show that you believe. Now, life is a marshmallow test. You can eat the marshmallow now. Grumble about your circumstances because, frankly, it feels good. Put your feet up and don't bother to serve. People aren't worth it anyway. Be bitter with God because, let's face it, he's taking forever. What has he ever done good for me lately? You can eat that marshmallow now, but that's all you get. There's nothing more. But if you wait, if you choose to patiently wait on the goodness of God, if you put your hope in him, Jesus will come through that door like he said he would. And he's bringing reward with him. He he is bringing his salvation with him for all who have chosen to wait upon him. We will find in his presence relief We will find comfort. We will find the satisfaction that we have longed for. And yes, it will taste much, much better than the marshmallow that we can take now and forfeit all of the goodness that he has prepared for us. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, you know how hard our lives can often feel. And you know how hard it is for us to wait. It doesn't come easily. So give us more grace. Give us more strength. Help us to trust you. Help us to look to you. Help us to wait on Jesus. And Father, while we wait, help us to get busy with the work that you've called us to. There's there's seed to be sown. There's a message to get out. There's a harvest to prepare for. And because of Jesus, we believe it'll be glorious. Thank you for your mercy to us. We praise you in Jesus' name.